we can find ways to encourage people to listen that can help them to build a connection to the you know even if it's to a small plot of land near them but helping them to to have a new relationship with that which will then expand and help hopefully to have a, a, a deeper and more meaningful relationship with our natural world and small steps like that even if it's only a couple of people at a time that could spread and and I think that you know nobody no one person is going to be able to change the world but that doesn't mean we should give up another episode of the conscient podcast I'm with Annie Matani from the UK welcome Annie thank you Claude thanks for having me it's great to have you because we first met in Dieburg, Germany, about three years ago at the, an event uh, around celebrating the 25 years of the world's uh, forum for acoustic ecology. And uh, I've been following your work, and I had the pleasure of being part of your uh, festival that you organized this year uh, in Birmingham, that uh, where I did a workshop. We'll we'll talk about all of those things, but uh, I'd like you to introduce yourself, talk about where you're from, what you do, and then we'll get into the topic of reality. So, please. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm Annie and I'm from Birmingham in the UK. Um, I'm a composer uh, grounded in electroacoustic music and practice. Um, and I'm based at the University of Birmingham where I am co-director of BEAST, Birmingham Electroacoustic Sound Theatre. Um, and I also co-direct another organisation called Sound Kitchen. And across both these organisations represent um, a, a lot of my work from composing acousmatic music um, all the way to the other side of um, my work, which is working with environmental sounds and um, particularly in sound walking. So with Sound Kitchen, uh, the main main practice we do there now is developing and devising sound walks. Um, compositionally, my, um, my work more so these days features environmental sounds as the core of it. Uh, so I do quite a lot of field recording and have done over the, the last years, both locally and everywhere I travel as well. And that often drives my music at the moment um, and my practice and my wider practice of listening. Well, let's start with uh, the, the topic of reality and accepting reality. I think you've had a chance to listen to some of the, the episode. Um, what comes to mind when you with around the idea and theme of reality for you? Writer, Rebecca Solnit. Hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act. Yeah, the 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 podcast that you created, Claude, was really interesting and um, and very thought provoking as well, and it it articulated a lot of thoughts and issues around reality and where we are now that in ways that maybe I haven't thought of before one of the things that that really resonated with me um, when I was listening to it was the reality of uncertainty 
at the moment. And I feel like the world that we live in, particularly today, and, you know, with, you know, this, I felt the uncertainty before we were in a pandemic with the concern of climate change and, you know, the politics of uh, world politics and, and what was happening. Uh, and that became even more pronounced, obviously, when we went when we were faced with a pandemic and everything we knew was thrown up in the air. But um, I wrote down a quote when I was listening, particularly which was the, the spaciousness of uncertainty and giving us the room to act. And I think that really resonated with me because I, I've witnessed and been part of those acts of being able to do things and, um, you know, explore the reality that we live in now uh particularly in this last year and uh, and as as painful and worrying and stressful as the uncertainty of our world is now because of it there are opportunities and you know it's very very easy to to get very dragged down in the negativity of, of things. But those opportunities are things that can offer us that little bit of hope, which is another thing that was discussing a lot in your podcast. And the, the um, hope being an active attitude was really important because one needs to find s some way to deal with with our world today and 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 a way to find that hope and to to own it as well i think journalist richard heinberg Hope is not just an expectation of better times. It is an active attitude, a determination to achieve the best possible outcome, regardless of the challenges one is facing. Well, one of the things I've been exploring is the notion of grief as well, because to me, they're interconnected. When, when you recognize that you're in a, a grieving process of some kind, you, you, you do uh, come out of it somehow, and, and you do need to, to counterbalance the, the grieving. So what, what are your thoughts on ecological grief? Uh, the, the term ecological grief is something that I hadn't um, thought about or even knew it existed until your podcast and um, the workshop that well might talk about later that we we were sitting in together um and when i when i discovered this term it made so much sense to me because there is a you know this ecological grief that so many of us are feeling at the moment because again the uncertainty and having having so much of this taken out of our hands and witnessing firsthand um how uh ecological world is evolving and we have no control over it at the moment even though we know that it's the acts of our species that have caused um all of this to happen um 
we're grieving for things that we didn't even know existed sometimes, but we can see a loss. And it, re- it, it, just that term for me, it, it, it really helped to realize that actually what, you know, it's okay to feel this, you know, this is a real thing. And this grief, it's a condition. And it's one that not only I am feeling, but so many people around the world who are feeling, are feeling this with this lack of control and this grief of, as we witness, witness, you know, it feels like the world is falling apart around us. Um, So it offers me a little comfort, the term, even though, you know, there's a lot of negativity in that. Well, I, we're both electroacoustic composers, you and I, and uh, share a similar background around uh, an interest of sound, soundscape and context and environment, that kind of thing. Uh, I was impressed when I saw the the, the call for works of the, the Beast uh, Fest this year, which is recalibration, because part it's linked to the COVID-19 pandemic and how, how to we cover and how do we deal but it, in acoustic terms in language that I understand <laughs> like I, I work in and so I, I submitted a workshop but maybe you could talk a bit about the the festival um, and and I think you were the curator so you you, you conceived or you worked on on developing the approach uh, and and I, I just want to say I want to congratulate you on the the tone you know you, one of the things the festival chose to do is to have gender parity in the programming things like that really I think are, are important. So maybe just talk a bit about the, the event, why you created it, and and uh, some of the uh, outcomes. We run an event every year in Birmingham, um, a festival of electroacoustic music, and twenty 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 festival. We had to move online very very quickly um, due to the pandemic. We had two weeks' notice when it was cancelled. I know. Twenty twenty one. I had already lined up um a theme and um some artists that were going to come to Birmingham um and that was always going to be around listening around the environment and um with the the wider theme of climate change as well but we things were very uncertain for a long time and then you know it became clear that we weren't going to be running an online festival and that we we needed to run Oh, sorry, we weren't going to be running an in-person festival. And if we were going to do anything, it was going to be online. And um, part of me felt, oh, I didn't necessarily want what I had planned to be online because I so desperately wanted to see these people and to have them in a room together. But the other part of me felt that actually there is no, there's this topic uh, can be wider and and we can't wait, we can't sit on it. We need to be addressing this Um we can't run a festival without having some reference to our world today. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a, a in some ways a justification, but also it's, it's stuff that I'm absolutely passionate about as well. And so the what, what 2021 allowed me to do this year was to really broaden what we could present. We weren't, we weren't, going to be putting up a loudspeaker system you know so we didn't have any limitations as to music or ideas or um, presentation methods other than that it had to be streamed and it had to be online Um, and we just had you know uh, a year of covid we've had a lot of content suddenly coming online so there was a bit of an 
in what I felt was a bit of an oversaturation in some ways I reached a point when there was so much being offered to us online that um it was difficult to be able to figure out what we wanted to listen to anyway and so the all these things sort of fed into to how we approached it and and it needed to reference COVID there was so much um so much happening in the world of listening over the last year with um you know practice listeners engaging differently um with the environment noticing the small changes that were happening and you know unpracticed listeners people who didn't pay that much attention to the world around us um suddenly find themselves engaging more uh and with their locality you know hearing things suddenly for the first time in their back gardens or in their front gardens or in their streets and noticing those sonic differences when things were taken out of the mix like cars like planes um and there's been you know lots of people addressing this and and talking about this um and for the festival we wanted to uh look at the way that listening has changed the way that practice has changed you know what covid has done to uh alter and adjust people's uh practice uh the way that composers and practitioners have responded to the pandemic musically or through listening um and also addressing the wider the wider issues sort of what does it mean going forwards after this year the year of uncertainty the year of opportunity for many what does it mean going forwards to our soundscape to our own practice to our environmental practice and listening um we presented that call for words as you know a, a series of questions you know not expecting necessarily an answers but a way to a way in a way to address a way to explore and that's what the the weekend of concerts and talks and workshops was this kind of exploration of our soundscapes um thinking about change and thinking about our future um and I, i'd like to talk a bit about the workshop that you you uh, uh, you that i gave but you were there and and there were about 30 35 uh, participants from around the world most of the uk but uh, there were all kinds of people and i was really pleased to see how it unfolded over time like at first we were talking about greening the art sector and how we can uh, you know reduce travel and touring and those kinds of things which was really important but then it got <laughs> into more philosophical issues and existential issues and i think a couple of people were traumatized or mildly traumatized by the by the tenure of of the issue you know because if you hadn't really thought through the emergency uh, the climate emergency it can come as a shock to see how bad things are and at one point, there was a, a young person who said, you know, well, maybe we in the music community all need to start thinking or doing acoustic ecology. And there were moments like that that I, I found really interesting. So what were your thoughts on on some of the things that were said at that workshop and, and uh, some of, maybe some of the highlights for you? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that quote was a great one. Um, if that's not, you know, absolutely. I, I fully agree there. Um, but... Um, you know what were you know interesting things that came out is that you know for some people that the the solace that they get in listening was really important and how that um 
you know, listening is such an integral part of how they act, so how they move forward, so how they write music um, and how they make those decisions was was very interesting. Um, and as you said, there was some quite, uh, uh, some very deep and honest responses as well. Um, there was discussions around capitalism, this kind of um, feeling that, you know, we've got, we've got some of us feel, feel like we have a responsibility in our art to be able to address these in some way or another and whilst that is seen you know as as very valid in some ways that there are other are the are flip side of that is that if capitalism is the thing that's driving us how are we ever going to have a voice and how are we ever going to make a difference and a lot of this uh uh this this feeling that however hard we try we can't we can't even have an imprint on on change there was you know also it was really um it was it was quite upsetting to see the impacts that this is having on younger generations who are living in a, a world of i think the word was panic for one like constant panic because they look around and nothing's changing it's only getting worse and they can only imagine this world moving forwards and don't know what to do they just don't know where to start or what to do and and how they then find comfort in that in in our world today was was very interesting and i think that for me you know these issues have have followed me through life you know um they've always been there but this for the for for the generation below me um it feels like they're not just there but they are they are they are at the forefront of their worries and their concerns and um it, even more so because they don't know anything else and it's it's incredibly sad and worrying and um, eye opening in a lot of ways. And do you see it coming through their art practice, or maybe they're not there yet? I don't know. Artist David Haley. We now need aesthetics to sensitize us to other ways of life. We need artists to sensitize us to the shape of things to come. Yeah, I think that um, again, some some. I think it was in this conversation and, and other conversations I've had. Is that kind of like how do I do this in in my art? You know, there is um, these issues are so big how can I create a, a piece of music or a dance or anything that really can reflect them and explain them properly and have an impact? And I think one thing that came out of that workshop was that don't give up. You know, we, you, there was one person particularly who was talking about, you know, feeling a bit of despair because they don't 
they, they can't have that impact that they want to have or they, they don't even see the points because they're not going to reach anybody. And um, particularly when when um, presenting to the usual audiences who often, you know, you're, you're preaching to like-minded people. And um, I think the, the conversation moved on to that kind of discussion of how actually we can we can step out of the normal presentation places step out of the concert hall and find ways to engage with people and again often coming back to that act of listening the the fact that if we can find ways to encourage people to listen that can help them to build a connection to the you know even if it's to a small plot of land near them but helping them to to have a new relationship with that which will then expand and help hopefully to have a, a, a deeper and more meaningful relationship with our natural world and small steps like that even if it's only a couple of people at a time that could spread and and I think that you know nobody no one person is going to be able to change the world but that doesn't mean we should give up and the accumulation uh, of of efforts uh, throughout artistic communities. Uh, I mean, one of the dilemmas is, is: should everybody start making art about climate change? You know, and that's not necessarily going to help. But but if people we might, but but if people are aware of of where they're at and what they can do, and certainly the 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 topic of listening comes back. You know, Hildegard Westerkamp was one of the first guests on this season, and she just said, you know, you need to slow down, you need to listen to allow for time to pass without any action and without any solution and to just experience and I think that slowdown is an absolute if there is any chance to survive I think that kind of slowing down through listening and meditation and through not doing so much um, I think there's some hope in that I've been thinking about that the last few days about uh, panic, you know, and the emergency and those active terms and that we have so little time. And ironically, because we have so little time, we have to slow down and listen um, because there will be a future. It, it doesn't look good right now, but the uncertainty is such that the accumulation of efforts and uh, a calming down once we've kind of come to terms with reality, whichever reality we choose to accept, I think there's a lot of hope there because we are a hopeful species. We have been through difficult times before and and the role of artists is very important and being a sound artist and you being a sound artist i'm, I'm really interested in what our peers are that's one of the reasons i i, I propose the workshops what are what are we doing uh and not sort of you know just recycling and but what are we thinking about how are we and what traditions can we come back can we call upon that are not necessarily new but that are rich and deep um that that we can have a continuity with and certainly listening a culture of listening is one of them and then if we choose to record and this is where i like the questions that you asked uh, as a festival you know how do we go forward in in um, in the recovery from covid what choices will we make for instance if we're field recording what what are those just just this week it was fascinating dylan robinson's written a book called hungry listening and he's an indigenous scholar here in canada at queen's university it's, it's a great book and and he's really uh, questioning 
some of our regular practices, like when we take a sound from the land, you know, what what right do we have to to capture that sound, and or at least what relationship do we have with with the sound, with the being, with the the event, the the sound event, and and those are questions that I find important for our communities to to consider going forward. You know, you 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 kind of have to rethink uh, everything, including your 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 output as an artist. Uh, Anyway, Annie, it's. I'd like to know a bit more about your own practice because I know uh, I heard a little bit of your work when we were in Germany, and I was really fascinated. So maybe just talk a bit about uh, your work and and how what connections you see to to environmentalism and uh, and, and listening. Um, as I said at the beginning, my my practice is grounded in acousmatic and electroacoustic music, um, and uh, I think I've I've always found that uh, my work has been has had some kind of external influence. It's been inspired, whether that's you know through writings or imagery, imagery a lot, but also through place. Um, and uh, I find that I I end up writing about place quite a lot you know locations that I've been to or places that mean a lot a lot to me um and so that's a really important part of my work as is space um uh I work with large-scale multi-channel systems so I'm able to work you know tangibly um and physically with a space of a studio but you know with depth and perspective but that kind of um, comes together, and I, um, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the piece that you mentioned that I've had in in Dieberg, which was um, uh, called Aeolian, and that that brought together my practice of time. I think I composed it in around 2015, which was field recording um, and working in a studio with you know some elements of sound manipulation as well, and working with um, you know multi-channel systems and um for that piece it's uh it it was re- it was it was using a experience that i had had uh recording in in a valley in northumberland where actually the the recording conditions weren't quite as i'd hoped and it was very windy and gray and um foreboding in many ways but i took time in that recording and, and the recording experience is, is so fundamental to my work, you know, that kind of meditative experience of recording and being in a space. And I spent quite a long time sitting and just recording the wind, uh, hence the title Aeolium. Um, and I was, you know, lucky enough to be using uh, ambisonic microphones, so recording in 360 degrees. Um, and uh, I also took recordings of hidden sounds and that's another area that's really important for me a, a, a bit of a passion so using hydrophones or contact microphones to pick up sounds that we can't hear with the naked ear um so the, those were the the kind of explorations of that recording session which I then took into uh, the studio and for me writing that piece I wanted to reflect the vastness the emptiness of a space and to really really encourage people to listen in and so it's an incredibly quiet piece. It 
it doesn't do it moves at a very slow pace and we hear the wind and we hear the the field recordings when they're revealed in the piece um at a level that you'd hear them in real life which means it's actually quite quiet so you so the audience and the listeners when they're listening in the space have to really you know become very very conscious of not only what they're hearing but themselves because there's not much else there and the people around them um and with this piece, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to work in a big studio with 24 channels. So I was able to really explore depth, literally, um, and open out. So, you know, really reflect that big open space that I was um, I, I was sitting in and recording. But all of this is framed with within another musical context. So using some of those... Uh, for, for this piece, it was uh, uh, fence recordings using contact microphones and, and drawing out the pitches of those and doing some slight, you know, delicate manipulations onto those to give it a musical frame. And this is where my work often becomes harder to categorise because it moves away from the very traditional acousmatic, um, heavily gestural uh, elements of of you know traditional acousmatic music. Yet it doesn't always sit in a traditional soundscape music because there is more intervention with the material and it's a kind of hybrid between between the two um but with both of those forms and jean labeling genres can be a bit of a hindrance sometimes both of those forms obviously the it all comes back to listening and it's it's about you know, being able to listen into sound um, and explore it that way. So, so those are some of the key important elements of my sort of concert work um, that have evolved over the years, and I think they've always been there. Um, place I, I've been bringing in recordings of places that I've visited into my works so from day one, really, all been inspired by them. But then it was very much, you know, a fragmentary. Um, you know, three seconds or 10 seconds uh, revelation of something before moving back into the very, very abstract world. Whereas now I think I allow myself to, to you know, put a listener into that listening experience. And it, I guess deep down it's sharing that listening experience, sharing that meditative experience that I was, you know, lucky enough to be able to go and have in real life and find and bringing that back into the concert hall or into an installation room I think it's where I, I performed it with in Dyberg um, and give the listener that space as well. And I wanted to get to the, uh, you know, this this uh, this episode is being broadcast on July 18th. We're we're July we're June 11th today, but uh, it's going to be World Listening Day on that day. And it, uh, our colleague Eric uh, Eric Leonardson, who also is the president of the World Forum for Acoustic Ecology, as he and others have pulled together this day uh, every year uh, celebrating Murray Schaefer's birthday, uh, but also a, a, an international day of listening. So this episode, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about listening, is, is dedicated to that World Listening Day event. And every day should be World Listening Day, but July 18th is a special day. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the World Listening Day? Have you had much uh, uh, interaction with it? Or um, I, I recognize it every year. Um, I often have um, have ambitions to, to be able to put an event on, and it's not always um, worked well, you, out. You've done me. one now. But I've done one now, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, But, I, you know, 
I always, I, I love, July the 18th is always in my calendar because it's the day when everybody around the world just uh, drops their tools and focuses, or it feels like that to me, focuses on listening. And it's, and it's a day when, you know, I feel I can turn to people, you know, who don't, who aren't part of our world, <laughs> so to speak. I say, it's World Listening Day today. Have you heard this? Or why don't you go and sit on the bench for five minutes and just listen? And, you know, sharing the joy of listening with, with, everybody and you know I think that there's a lot to be said sometimes for having an official day even though you know for most of us every day is World Listening Day but the fact that there are organized events and that there are ways to tune in and to share practice as well and see what other people are doing. Uh, And the theme this the theme this year is the unquiet earth you know reflecting and engaging with the uh, constant murmurs of the earth as well as unheard sounds you know and there's there's a connection i think between your uh, recalibration festival the timing and the questions you've asked and and the unquiet earth because the the the, the earth is more than murmuring it's 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 reeling um or maybe we're reeling because i was talking to somebody recently who thinks you know the earth will be fine it has tremendous resilience we don't as much uh, as a species you know and um uh, and that brings us back to, to you know to to the the sense of emergency and, and and the role of artists so you're you're a you're a teacher and you're an artist and you're a curator um what do you see as some of the some of the gaps and some of the opportunities for artists going forward in 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 the climate emergency i mean we've already talked about it to a certain extent through the the conversation here but are, are you having any thoughts on on what what people should keep in mind or what are some of your uh, aspirations in that regard yeah so um you know i think people need to keep talking about it and need to feel like sometimes I don't feel that they feel always validated to be able to say this because they don't have enough knowledge. But I think one of the things that came out in our festival was the, the different responses that um, people were having to climate change, uh, whether that was a very literal, um, this is how my world has changed due to things. This is a disappearing species or this is, this is my personal response. And, um, and so, you know, there are, there are a lot of young people in the, that are around me that are, are addressing this in so many different ways, whether it's through data sonification or through field recording related things or, or I, that personal response. And I think that that needs to carry on. But I think that there are opportunities as well where we need to look look outside and see who can we work with to help make a difference. And that's, I, I guess that's a, an area of my practice that I'm doing quite a lot of at the moment in terms of looking beyond, I, I've talked about my my concert music, but looking beyond that, it's like, where, what direction can I take my work into to, you know, help spread a word or, or, or help influence where I go next, you know? So I work with other people and then come back and think about now, what message can I send back into the concert hall and what messages can I take out and how can I just keep those messages alive until they become normalized in some way. Um, and so I do work with um, community groups and in terms of some of the sound walking work that I do, um, I've joining people across the university uh, in different departments that um, uh, so in geography and life sciences, i join seminar groups and talk with um, some of those communities there and share my practice which when I when I do this it 
it makes a lot of sense to other people, but they don't know, they're not normally exposed to listening and these kind of sonic practices. And it's amazing how they are received and, and with such openness and support and, you know, willingness for me to go and work with them more in whatever, you know, form that may take. Um, and, and, and in doing that, so I'm I'm working with a, a climate change forest, a, a forest that's researching climate change, and and I hope on World Listening Day I will be launching a stream from that forest, which will be really um, interesting because it's an experimental forest where there's it's it's old oaks, but there's an experiment happening there. So actually, the sounds that are going to come back from that are not going to be quite as natural as we would expect. Um, which is is interesting, but you know, it, this seems like an opportunity for me to be able to broaden my practice, to work with people working in, you know, climate research, um, and it's a it's an, a no brainer. And I haven't got, you know, I'm not sure how what direction that work's going to go in, but I'm excited to be able to feel like I'm part of something as well. Well, I, I'm hearing excitement in your voice because you're talking about collaboration, you're talking about intersectorality, you're talking about community engagement, you're talking about uh, even regeneration, you know, the idea that because there are positive things happening in our world and, and some of them can be transmitted through sound and art, you know. I know in the UK there's a number of rewilding movements. Um, uh, Canada needs to, even though we have a large territory, we need to start thinking about that rewilding uh, as a process, you know. And whether you call it art or not, there's a process there and there's a, there's a sound element. So the, the idea of, of bringing... Uh, experiences to audiences that are about are both about awareness of the of the complexity, but also some of the positive work that's being done. That that it moves us in a direction of 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 sustainability and even living in new ways. You know, uh, both new ways and old ways, because we can't. The status quo is untenable, right? The the way we live, uh, the, the excessive uh, consumer society, it's it's untenable. It will stop at a certain point because we'll run out of resources. So before then, we need to reinvent the way we live, and we need to do it on the long term, thinking of many generations' future, our children, their children, their children's children, uh, as our pre as our people have done before. It's just that we're in a pickle right now. We, we've kind of put ourselves into a corner. Uh, and and we don't we don't see the way out. And when you talked about the young people being uh, uh, nervous and anxious about not see, knowing what to do, I, I can understand that. I I am like that too. Um, but there there is a lot a lot of power in in arts and culture. Power in the in the sense of of uh, ability to transcend some of the barriers to to find new ways around uh, the issue that seems impossible, certainly uncertain, but sometimes it seems impossible, but, but art has a way. C'est un peu comme quand on prend une grenouille qui est un animal à sang froid et qu'on la met dans un bocal d'eau et qu'on fait chauffer l'eau peu à peu. La grenouille va s'habituer Composer Robert Normando. It's a bit like taking a frog, which is a cold-blooded animal, and putting it into a jar of water and heating the water, little by little. The frog will get used to the temperature rising and rising, and it will not notice that the temperature has risen. 
and one day the temperature will be too hot for it and it will die. Therefore, our civilization, in terms of sound, looks a bit like that. That is to say, we get used to it, we get used to it, we get used to it, and at some point we're going to have punctured eardrums. I think the um, I think it definitely does have a way. I th I think one of the uh, things that came up in in your workshop was that this provides some comfort to us as practitioners to know that we're working in these fields, and and we can also hopefully see noticeable change in certain areas. But there is still such a long way to go because there's so much of society that isn't exposed to our work or the artist's work and you know there's you know in the UK the arts are being devalued every day and and it's not and there's so many struggles personal struggles that other people are, are having and I think um uh, one person talked about you know societal differences and demographic differences and actually there's still huge sets of society who are just struggling to survive themselves let so being able to invest their time and their energy into uh you know even going to art or, or engaging with art or even considering the bigger issues at hand are quite are quite um well they're just not on their radar for, for many and understandably so and so um i feel we've got to keep doing what we're doing and, and hope is important there and hope that those who are in power that somehow we can influence them. And I think sometimes it's knowing where where to direct, where where that change is going to come from, I think. Well, I think that the, the curators, the producers, the educators have a lot of influence. You know, when I saw that you, you chose to do gender parity on your festival, I thought, well, there's a statement. There's something within your control. And it changes, it changes everything <laughs> because a lot more voices are being heard that might not have been heard so if you can do that if we can do that what else can we do in the way that we approach the way we present we produce uh these podcasts have tremendous i listen to podcasts a lot because i i'm walking i'm you know i i enter these ideas enter my brain and then they don't leave you know <laughs> it's like an artwork they, yeah. they affect you they yeah. touch you they they bring you somewhere so there there is that uh potential there yeah absolutely and you know um i've i've listened to a few of your podcasts when i've been running now claude and it's uh they're they're wonderful because <laughs> um, uh, you know more and more people are listening to podcasts and they have a huge effect on people which is it's really really good um annie matani is there anything else that you would like to say that we haven't talked about that might be important to uh to tag on here at the end yeah i guess um you know, I um, what you said about the importance of us of gender parity in our festival and the messages that it um, it it sends out. I think that you know comes back to another thing that I, I've been talking quite a lot about my own practice and um, you know, and we've been talking about artists and individuals. But I'm part of a bigger institution, and you know, as part of a university in the UK, I think that that's 
a tool that I can use. And so, for example, being able to say that we at the University of Birmingham are only doing festivals where there is gender parity and there are a clear a clear diversity agenda that we are um that we're working to we can help to lead the way with that and i think that's that's really important i think um we need to be brave we need to take big steps and and you know do what we know is right but with with the power of something an institution like a university you can take bigger steps than you know and and not lose if it doesn't go quite right so I think there's a huge responsibility for me in the, the position that I'm lucky enough to be in and for other people in these positions to do that and once as you say once you see somebody doing it you realize that it can be done and actually if you don't follow suit you're going to be picked up on it and I think I think there's another thing that does give me hope is that actually um, you just need a few people to lead the way and, and hopefully others will follow. We'll, we'll talk again, Annie. I'm, I'm sure our paths will cross again. And thank you for sharing your, your experience and of not just the festival, but the workshop and your practice. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you, Claude. It's been lovely to talk to you.